and I want to read down through verse 11 of chapter 3. I mentioned to you that uh, Genesis 3 and Exodus 3 are pivotal. Genesis 3 is the fall of man. Exodus 3 is God revealing himself as the great lawgiver. And so we, God is um, obviously in the book of Exodus, gives us, uh, gives his people the law. And of course, the, it's not just his people. The law is God's law, so it impacts all of mankind. So those two chapters, Genesis 3, Exodus 3, are pivotal. We've covered in some detail the first three verses on the burning bush that is not consumed, how it references the holiness and righteousness of, of Yahweh. And then in verse 4, uh, Moses, of course, is recording this um, perhaps in Kadesh Barnea just before they entered the promised land. And he writes, So when the Lord saw that he had turned aside to look, that's Moses, God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, God said, Do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry because of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrows. So I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians. And to bring them up from the land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I have also seen the oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now therefore, and I will send you to Pharaoh, and you, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I? Verse 4, he said, here am I, and now Moses begins the great Baptist litany. Who am I to do what you've called me to do? Who am I that I should, bring, uh, should, I, that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the children of Israel out of Egypt? So our plan is to cover those verses this evening. Last Sunday evening, as we wrapped up uh, the first three verses, the very last bullet on the overhead is having his undivided attention. The Lord speaks and he calls him by name and there's this repetition, Moses, Moses. So to our knowledge or to our understanding, Moses is the only one that is on the backside of the desert on Mount Horeb, which uh, is known as Mount Sinai. It's where the giving of the law would take place. And so he, he uh, has Moses' attention now, and of course Moses answers him and said, okay, here I am. And obviously the Lord knew that. Next slide if you would, brother. <clears throat> so when we wrap up the first three verses as we move through these uh, next, uh, the middle verses rather of chapter three, we're reminded that the burning bush is not consumed. We talked about that at length, the reason for that. But it indicates God's grace to Moses and his covenant people. 
it is a standing representative of the covenant, and God re-addresses re, uh, the covenant uh, in verses 5 and uh, the verses that are following. Be reminded that he says, verse 6, I am the God of your father, singular. And he doesn't call out Moses' father. He calls out his covenant father. And in the Old Testament, the covenant father is always Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, that's three men. Well, the covenant that God made with Abraham, he likewise made with Isaac, and then he made with Jacob. So this is a reminder again to Moses of the fact that he is the God that makes the covenant, and he keeps his covenant. Now, the word that's uh, used for bush there in the first three verses, again, this, this is important because it goes back and helps to set the scene as we move forward, is literally a bush of thorns. Now, if you think about this for a moment, a lot of imagery here in Exodus 3. There's a lot of imagery in Genesis 3. But when you think about this, it harkens back to the curse that's seen in Genesis 3. So go with me that, back to Genesis chapter 3. <clears throat> Verse 17. Then to Adam he said, Because you have heeded the voice of your wife. Now in most cases that's a good thing. In the overwhelming majority of cases, that's a good thing. But here it is not, because Adam listened to his voice of, the voice of Eve over the voice of God. And that is never a good thing. It would not be good for Eve to listen to the voice of Adam over the voice of God. So Adam was placed in a position of spiritual responsibility. It was his uh, responsibility to lead his wife, and Adam failed miserably. And so the Lord reminds him. One of the great things about uh, the Spirit of God is that we are reminded of sin. Now, he forgives sin, but uh, we will always be reminded of sin because that's the great factor within us that separates God from us, or rather us from God. God, of course, is brought to us in the person of Jesus. He says, you've heeded the voice of your wife. You've eaten from the tree which I commanded you, saying you shall not eat of it. But, buddy, you just made, you, made the, you made the wrong choice. I told you not to do it, and you did it anyway. So there's rebellion here. It's not just an innocent. Don't ever think that Adam and Eve are innocent. They're not. As intelligent as these individuals were, perhaps the most intelligent that have ever lived because they're the prototypical human created by God, never think that they're innocent. They're not. And God reminds them of this. And so he proceeds to apply the curse. Curse it is the ground for your sake. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Both thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, 
Dust you are, and to dust you shall return. That's some of the more uh, depressing verses in all the Bible. And this teaches us about the nature of God. Now the good thing, obviously, is what takes place in the middle verses where he promises uh, the deliverer. But because of this, he says, thorns and thistles shall bring forth, the ground shall bring forth to you, and that's where we, well, that was, that's what we see, rather, in Exodus chapter 3. So go with me back there if you would. So we have, in these first three verses leading up to the conversation between Yahweh and Moses, a burning example of God's grace because when Jesus died, uh, when he was tried, a crown of thorns was placed on his head. Don't miss the imagery here. Uh, the imagery, obviously, we're thinking of, okay, you, you say you're a king, we're going to give you a crown. But the crown that was given him was a crown of thorns. And that references all the way back to Genesis chapter 3. So I mentioned this morning that God, uh, that nothing ever happens to God. And it's all in his purview. And here's one of those examples. This didn't just happen. The placing of thorns on Christ didn't just happen. This was predetermined, foreordained by God the Father to reference back to what the curse represented in Genesis chapter 3. Okay? So, Moses had been rejected by his kinsmen. Look at verse 14 of chapter 2. Then he said, and this is one of the individuals after Moses killed an, an Egyptian, who made you a prince and a judge over us? Do you intend to kill me as you kill the Egyptian? So Moses feared and said, surely this thing is known. And it was known. When Pharaoh heard of this, he sought to kill Moses. But then Moses fled from Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. So he traveled about a thousand miles away uh, and God protected him there in uh, the desert. <clears throat> now, uh, he's rejected in, in uh, chapter 2 and verse 14, but he is commissioned also by Yahweh. Now, go with me to Matthew, the teaching of Jesus, Matthew chapter 21. So Moses is rejected, and then in the teaching, this is the parable, it begins in verse 33, parable of the landowner, um, look at verse 41, then he said, and this is part of the parable, then, then said to him, he will destroy, they said to him, rather, he will destroy those wicked men miserably, and lease his venue to other vine dressers who will render to him the fruits of their, season, of their seasons. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the Scriptures the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. This is a quote from Psalm 118. So Jesus was rejected. Moses was rejected. Nonetheless, Moses becomes the leader of the exodus of the Hebrew people, the leader of the Hebrews, uh, 
as Jesus now, of course, reigns as king of the earth. So this commissioning begins in these middle verses here, in verses 5 and 6 and those that are following. Now something happens here. So Moses is, uh, he, he sees the burning bush, the burning bushes, literally, plural. They, the fire does not consume the bush. Now in the desert, this is extremely rare. In fact, it's probably, this is probably the only time it's ever happened. Fire doesn't consume the dryness of the thorns in the desert. And he sees, Moses sees, a theophany. He sees the angel of the Lord, an Old Testament appearance of Christ. And so he says, I'm going to turn aside. I'm going to see what this vision is. And the Lord is in the presence, obviously, of the bush. And he speaks from the bush. And this doesn't startle Moses. Now, think about it for a moment. In the desert, when a fire takes place, it consumes everything. The fire, the bush is not consumed and it begins to speak. And Moses doesn't say, whoa, what's going on? This is some paranormal type thing. No. So Moses knows that Yahweh is speaking to him. There is this affinity, if you please, between the soul of Moses and that of God. And so Moses, uh, rather Yahweh tells him, listen, don't come near this place. Don't draw near to it. This is, notice what he says, take your sandals off. Now, Moses' feet are, his, his feet are already dirty. Been in the desert for months, probably. His feet are already dirty, so it doesn't matter whether he has his sandals on or whether he has them off. But the, the purpose of this, he says, for the place where you stand is holy ground. The sandals represented something that was made by humanity. The sole of the feet represents something that is made by God. So he says, take your sandals off. This land is holy ground. And so we see here the standing and removing of the sandals indicates the holy presence of God even in the content of the desert or even in the presence of the desert. So this is something that is carried through the book of Exodus. It's found a number of times as we, as the, Hebrew children approach the promised land. Look at Exodus chapter 14. So, don't draw near. Take your sandals off. The place where you stand, don't move. The place where you stand. Moses apparently didn't have uh, adult attention deficit disorder. He stood there. We would have uh, stood there as well. Look at Exodus 14 and verse 13. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Stand 
still. You know, there's a great lesson here. We like to be moving. We're told, or at least the Japanese tell us, that you need to walk 10,000 steps a day. That's a lot of steps. I don't know if you keep track of them or not, but uh, Robbie and I try to walk and I try to, to keep track of the number of steps and so forth. And occasionally we broach 10,000 steps. That's a lot of steps, particularly for an old person. All God's people said, that's a, a week. It's a lot of steps. But when we approach God, we're told, don't move. This is the nature of who God is, and he's teaching this to Moses. Now remember now, Moses has been gone for 40 years. He's with the priest of Midian. They offered sacrifices as to uh, how they worshipped and all. They probably just followed the, the, uh, the worship uh, direction of the protocol of, the, of his fathers. But Moses remembers this standstill, and he uses it with the Hebrew children. Stand still, see the salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today, for the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. The Lord will fight for you, and you shall hold your peace. And so, again, the number of times we'll see that as we go through the book of uh, Exodus. Next slide, if you would. <coughs> so, he says, stand still, take your, take your uh, sandals off, stand still, don't move. So I have your undivided attention. And the very first thing that Yahweh does is he reconfirms the covenant. Very first thing. I have not forgotten the covenant that I made over 400 years ago with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And so he reconfirms that to Moses, and this is the beginning of God's, because God's already, he had already chosen, chose Moses before the foundation of the earth was laid. But in choosing Moses here, he is confirming to Moses, and we'll see that as we go through the remainder of the chapter into chapter 4. Moses, you're my man. You don't think you are, but you're my man. And so, uh, Moses knows that he is in God's presence. And notice what happens. He says, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Three great men in the Old Testament. Talked about this a number of times. Moses is one of them. What are the other two? Who are the other two? Abraham and David. Abraham, Moses, David. The three great individuals in the Old Testament. And here, one of the greatest individuals in the Old Testament hides his face from God. We will find later on in chapter 29 or 30, when God is giving the law, the great lawgiver is giving the law to Moses, 
Moses asked to see his face. And what does God tell him? You can't see me. You're one of the greatest men in the Old Testament, Moses, but you can't see me. No man can look on me and live. One of the reasons for the incarnation is the fact that we can look at the God-man, Jesus Christ. Had God not selected and determined to become incarnate in the flesh, we couldn't look at God. He is of such holiness that he consumes sinful men and women. So Moses, he's hiding his face. He knows that what he's seeing, obviously, is a, a theophany. And the Lord continues to speak to him. He doesn't say, look up here, Moses. He continues to speak, even as Moses is, is, uh, is rightly uh, humbled by this experience. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people. I've seen them in Egypt. I've heard their cry because of their taskmasters. I know their sorrows. I have come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians to bring them up from a land to a good and large land to a land flowing with milk and honey to the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now the Jebusites were the clan, was the clan and the tribe that occupied Jerusalem. Jeru. It was called Jerusalem, and it was not until David conquered Jerusalem that it became Jerusalem. So at this time, it's not Zion. It is a pagan. It's occupied by pagan people, Jebusites, that I mentioned here. So God makes that clear to Abraham. So he reaffirms his covenant to Abraham as the God who chooses without regard for their goodness. Remember, Abram, chosen out of the land of the earth of Chaldees, Abram was a moon worshiper. He was not a believer in Yahweh. And yet God revealed himself to him. We are told in the book of, uh, of Romans that by faith, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Not because of his faith, but because God revealed himself, he saw uh, or the covenant that was made with him, and he became, the New Testament phrase would be born again. We don't see that in the nature of the Old Testament, but that's essentially what happened. So God chose Abram as a pagan and blessed him and began to bless him with the covenant. God reaffirms his covenant to Isaac as the one who spares our lives and substitutes himself as the sacrifice. Remember Abram, Abraham took Isaac, his only son, his covenant son, not his only son. Ishmael was a son and probably Abraham had others, but Isaac was a covenant son. God told him in Genesis 19, take, take him up to uh, the mountain. We think that was Mount Horeb, Mount Sinai, and offer him as a sacrifice. Well, God intervened because that was part of the covenant that uh, the Lord had made with Abraham, and then he makes, re reinstates it with Isaac, and then he reaffirms his covenant to Jacob as the God who spares our lives 
uh, rather who bears with us with infinite patience, the God who never forsakes us. And if you know anything about Jacob, we studied Jacob in the book of Genesis. Jacob was a rascal, very much like David. He was a conniver. He was a supplanter. But it, God never forsook him, and God changed his name from Jacob to what? What did God change his name to? He had 12 sons, so he was the father of what? Israel. Changed his name to Israel. Okay? And then he continues to bless them. So in verse 7, God begins to speak. We're going to stop here this evening because there's quite a bit to these other verses. And the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people. So Yahweh reminds Moses that though he has been removed from Egypt for 40 years, now, I think on the next slide I'll talk about the number of days. So Moses has been gone from Egypt almost 15,000 days. Now you don't think about it. Some of you here tonight are 40. 40-ish. Some of you are older than 40. Some of us are older than dirt. That's a lot of days. So Moses had been doing his own thing for almost 15,000 days, and God says, whoop, you're 80 years old, but I have something for you to do. And what you're going to be commissioned to do is because I have not forsaken my covenant people. What a beautiful, beautiful illustration of God's love and of God's mercy toward us. Any comments or questions? We'll stop there this evening. <coughs> Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for your word. We pray that uh, as we depart this place that we know the scripture promises that it never returns void in our lives. So bless us as we depart. Pray that you would be with every individual, every couple, every family that is here. Engage them this, this week, Father, with the Spirit so that they may share their faith with others.